0: All right, friends, welcome to Vision Sunday again. And as we gather in this moment in preparation to go to God's Word, what an opportunity in our 65th year as a church to catch God's vision for our church moving into the decade ahead. Whether you've been part of our church family since the beginning, 65 years ago, or if it's your first time today, this is an invitation for you to catch a vision that has its grounding in the heart of God, that is defined by scripture, that invites you to play an indispensable part to become a church at work. This vision that God has given us in leadership over the last number of years as we unveil it to our church family and guests today reminds us that church is not an hour on Sunday. Church is not a building. Church isn't staff. It's not ordained pastors. Church is people. And we have an opportunity to be the church, not just here in Los Angeles, but throughout the United States and to the ends of the earth. No matter where you call home, this is an invitation to you to join this church, to catch God's vision for doing a work in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, within our families and friends, a work that is redeeming a work that is loving, a work that is serving, a work that is so needed desperately in our world. Today, you're going to learn about who we are, what we are about, and the indispensable part that you can play moving forward. In fact, as I walk through this sermon through God's Word, it's also an invitation for you to take a next step, a next step that can be found on our website at belair.org forward slash vision. Now, again, if you are already part of our church family or new today, this is for you. And as we go to God's Word right now and the gospel according to John, beginning in chapter 11, there is a significant event that happens in one of my favorite biblical locations in the village of Bethany. You've heard me talk about Bethany before. It seems like Bethany was one of Jesus's favorite places on earth. He is frequently visiting Bethany. Even the last week of his earthly ministry, he visits Jerusalem in the day and yet he comes back and he rests at Bethany. It is in Bethany where some of the most significant teaching of Jesus happens. It's in Bethany where we see some of the most significant miracles done by Jesus. In fact, it's in Bethany where Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and Scripture says that he will return in that same place. And that was outside of Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was the hub of religious activity in the first century for the Jewish people. And yet, there was a very distinct contrast between those two places. It seemed like in Bethany, Jesus was free, free to be at home. He had the space to do as he pleased. And yet in Jerusalem, there was this sense that people missed who he was. They weren't open to the invitation that he was extending. In fact, in Bethany, he was welcomed, in Jerusalem, he was condemned, arrested, and put to death. As a church family, over the next three weeks, we're going to see three distinct episodes in Bethany. And we're going to see nuances of this vision that Jesus has invited us into as the head of this church to be the church at work. And let me read for us John chapter 11. I want to set the stage for you on this day. And my hope and my prayers that the Spirit of God would, would come through these words, these words that are alive and active. These aren't my words. This isn't literature. This isn't anything other than the powerful written Word of God for you and for me that transcends all of eternity, that you would catch God's vision for your life, that you would be found in this glorious opportunity to step into God's calling for your life. This is John chapter 11, beginning in verse one. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. You see, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Let me fast forward to verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him while Mary stayed at home. Now let's take a look at this here. You have this significant event that we're going to dive into in a moment. But I want to catch something. I want want to point out something here that you have two sisters, Martha and Mary, sisters of a dead man, Lazarus. And I want you to hear, I want you to notice how different their personalities are. You have Martha who hears that Jesus is coming and she goes to meet him on the way. But Mary stays at home. Martha gets up and goes and Mary perhaps is paralyzed in grief. I want you to understand how distinctly different their personalities are, their postures are, how the apostle John records their various responses to who Jesus is. And what a great reminder that no matter who we are, no matter how we approach Jesus, no matter what our personality or posture might be as we approach Jesus, Jesus welcomes us. And I want you to see very distinctly the two different ways that Martha and Mary approach Jesus. Remember, church is people and there's a vast, beautiful tapestry of diversity of people that make up the church and all are welcome. Listen to how Martha approaches Jesus. This is in verse 21 of John 11, Martha said to Jesus. Now she is speaking to Jesus at eye level. She walks up to him face to face and she says this, Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. She just walks up to Jesus face to face and just speaks her heart, speaks her mind, speaks the truth, has some faith, has some trust and says, you, if, you, if you would have just been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that you can ask God whatever you want and it'll be done. Now, I want you to listen how differently Mary approaches Jesus. It's a little bit later on. This is John chapter 11, verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet. Here you have Martha speaking to Jesus face to face. You have Mary at the feet of Jesus. Two different personalities, two different postures. They both approach Jesus, but in different ways. The point is they come to Jesus and here's what she says. Verbatim, word for word, how Martha starts off what she says to Jesus. Mary says this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Word for word, in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, they say the exact same words. But remember, Martha continues on. We read that just a bit earlier. But I know that if you ask God whatever you want, he will do it for you. Mary doesn't say that. Perhaps she approaches Jesus, yes, in humility, but perhaps she is so overwhelmed with grief, perhaps she has doubts that she can't say what Martha just said. Whatever you ask of God will be done. For us to become a church at work, to be reminded that church is people, is a reminder that we must be known. Martha and Mary aren't just names. They're people with different personalities, different hopes, different fears, different ways in which they come to Jesus. One perhaps already filled with faith, one with doubts, and they're both invited to come and they are known God's vision for this church Bel Air Church in its 65th year for us to be a church at work you must be willing to be known it is so glorious that in the last year of all years we have exploded in growth We have more people than at any point in our 65-year history who are being reached by the ministry of Beller Church. And it's not just here on our physical campus. It is through our digital campus in Los Angeles on our broadcast. It is on various platforms on the internet. It is in different stations around the U.S. and available on demand around the globe. But we must, we must step into this new era. We must catch the vision to not just sit back and watch, to not just sit back and just take in, to not just sit back in anonymity, but to step forward and be known. Full stop, there is nothing less than God wants for you than this, for you to be known in community. And so my hope, and my prayer is that you would take that bold step of faith like Martha running to Jesus, like Mary coming to Jesus, that you would step out and be known. And as you go to beller.org/vision forward slash vision, it is an opportunity for you to become known. We want to know not just your name, but we want to know who you are. We want to know your hopes and your dreams and your fears and yes, even your doubts. We want to embrace you in your belovedness, made in the image of God. We want to invite you to be known in this place, in this community, because we are a church and that's not a building. It's not an hour on Sunday. It is not name only. It is a group of people who bring ourselves, yes, broken yes, sometimes insecure, yes, incomplete, we bring ourselves, our strengths, our weaknesses, our hurts, our hangups, and we bring it all together in community. And we see here in this beautiful picture that Jesus receives both of them. He doesn't tell Martha, you know, you should have come to me like Mary at my feet. He doesn't say that. He also doesn't say to Mary, you know, you should have come to me like Martha who believed I would do whatever God the Father would want me to do. No, Jesus responds to both of them. But watch, he responds to them in each of the way they personally needed. Remember, Martha comes face to face. She says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But now, whatever you want to do in the name of God, the Father, it will be done for you. Listen to how Jesus responds to Martha. He says this in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He responds to her with the truth. Face to face, she speaks her truth. He speaks truth. And then Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's important for you to understand that the Jewish people in the first century believed that there would be a a final, collective resurrection all at once. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, I, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Those who believe in me, even though they will die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He responds to her with a powerful truth. But listen to how differently he responds to Mary. Remember, Mary has not chosen to come with Martha. She stays back at home. After Martha's encounter, she comes back to Mary. And Martha says to Mary, The teacher is here and is calling for you. Mary had a personal invitation to be known by Jesus, to come to Jesus. And she goes to Jesus and she kneels at his feet. She is weeping. She says the same beginning statements that Martha said. And here's how Jesus responds. With silence. He doesn't say your brother will rise again. Because... That's not what she needed in that moment. This is not Jesus being relative in truth. This is him being a personal king and savior and redeemer. And he's silent. He doesn't say, I am the resurrection and the life. All who believe in me, though they will die, will live. Do you believe this? He doesn't say any of that. He is silent. Watch what the Apostle John says happens next. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. The personalness of Jesus. He doesn't respond to Mary like he did with Martha, a powerful truth. He responds to her with passionate tears because Jesus knows them. He knows what they need. And as you step forward and choose to be known here at Bel Air Church, there is a ministry that begins with our pastoral staff, extends through our elders, through our lay leaders and our deacons and our members. But ultimately, it is a ministry of the entire community. It's an invitation for you to be known, for you to experience both powerful truth and passionate tears. As you step forward and be known, you will find everything that you've been looking for a deep-seated truth that anchors you in the midst of all the noise of this world and love and embrace and bearing burdens like nothing else can in life. If you are seeking truth, if you are seeking counsel, step forward and be known. That's what it means for us to become a church at work. Every single person known. We're not going to stop until everyone is known. Now, you see, it's it's not possible for you to know everyone, but it's possible for everyone to be known within our family of faith. The thousands and tens of thousands who are joining us every single Sunday in ministry throughout the week, we are inviting every single one of you to be known. And as you are known, know that you are going to step forward and you are going to be part of a community. You see, Martha and Mary didn't just step forward to Jesus privately and no one saw it. They did so in such a way that the Apostle Paul writes about it. It's not enough for us to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ and exclude all the community of faith that Jesus says is part of being a follower of Jesus. You were created for community. There's no such thing as solo Christians. You can't do it. So step forward and be known. Get rooted here in community. It's a high calling. But as you take that step, watch what will happen in your life. But you see in this narrative, in this historical account, And for us today, for us to become a church at work, it isn't just for us to to step out and be known. It is for us to be defined by the reality of who Jesus is. You see, remember how Jesus responded to Martha? He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. All who believe in me, though they will die, will one day live. Do you believe this? And here's how Martha responds. She says, yes, Lord, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And Martha's reality was defined in that moment, not by anything else in all of creation. Her definition of reality, her identity, her peace, her joy was not defined by the circumstances of what just happened to her brother Lazarus. It wasn't defined by all the noise of all the opinions of all the things that could have been said. Her Everything was defined by the reality of who Jesus is. He is Lord. He is Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one coming into the world. And not only when you are known by Jesus, when you are known in community, but when you begin to know Jesus, And you begin to immerse your life into the written word of God that ultimately points to the living word of God that is Jesus Christ. As you begin to see that Jesus isn't just a historical figure that lived thousands of years ago, isn't just a great teacher, isn't just a great man, isn't just a great miracle worker, but he is the very cosmic Christ, the eternal son of God, stepped down into the reality of our lives to live a beautiful life, a holy life, a perfect life. To ultimately give his life away so that you, so that all the world might be saved through faith and trust in him. You cannot plumb the depths of Jesus Christ in this lifetime and fully understand the vastness and the beauty of the reality of who Jesus is. But here's what happens. The more that you know about Jesus, the more you will come to know about yourself. The problem for many of you who don't know Jesus is that your life is formless. Your life lacks definition. You were pulled every which way. You were up and down, high and low, left and right. You were caught up in things and and there is no groundedness in your life. There's no integrity in your life. There's no security in your life. There's no peace in your life. There's no joy in your life because you don't know Jesus. Maybe you do from afar, maybe you're checking him out, maybe you're dabbling in this or that, but the more that you come to know Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our great Redeemer, our Savior, our great Shepherd, our everything, the more that you come to know him, the more you come to know who you are in Christ. This last week, I celebrated my 21st year of following Jesus. I had no idea who I was as a young 19-year-old back in the day in college, but I am stepping more and more and more into who God has created me to be. As I've come to know more about Jesus, I've come to know more of who I am in my desperate need of Jesus, but who I am in Christ what Christ wants to do through me and in me. And as I've gotten to know so many of you over the last seven years of being the senior pastor of this church, as you have stepped out, many of you long before you knew me, you've known Jesus for decades. The more you knew of Jesus, the more you knew of who you were and you came forward with humility, with confidence, and you brought the fullness of who you were. You see, we, to become a church at work, to be People who are defined by the reality of Jesus is are people who aren't defined by anything else. You know, I get a question a lot that gets sent my way, either in person, uh, via email. People will say, well, what kind of church is Bel Air Church? I want to give you a crystal clear answer. There's no wiggle room on this. There's no fuzziness about this. We are a church defined by the reality of who Jesus is. We're not this church. We're not that church. So don't get it misunderstood. We are a church centered on Jesus, the very son of God who is the image of the invisible God, who is the head of all things, the book of Colossians says. And so as Martha stepped forward and she acknowledged the truth of who Jesus was, It gave her a different posture towards the circumstance she was in with a dead brother. And as you step forward and not only are known here in this community, but when you allow your life to be defined by the reality of who Jesus is, in the great mystery of the pursuit of a relationship with Jesus, you will come to know more of who you are. There will be discoveries not only of God the Father and God the Son, but as God the Spirit dwells in you because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will come to know more and you will have a freedom in your life. You will get to show up to relationships, to situations, to job interviews, to things, to projects, fully whole in your relationship with Jesus. The freest people I've ever seen are people who, are completely sold out for Jesus. They don't have to prove anything to anyone. They get the job, great. They don't get the job, it's okay. They get a yes, that's great. They get a no, that's okay because I am whole in Christ, they say. So for us to become a church at work, it is not just for you to step out and be known. It's not just for you to step out and be defined by the reality of who Jesus is but it is for you to step out and be Jesus joiners. You know, in the last year, I think there are a lot of uh, things that we've seen, especially in the media, where many uh, followers of Christ have actually become more of a, Jesus distractors than Jesus joiners. We get caught up in other things. We begin to follow other things. We stop aligning our heart and our mission and our mind and our purpose on Jesus' invitation for us. We stop being defined by the reality of who Jesus is and we become Jesus distractors and people don't see Jesus in us or in those people out there or maybe we're Jesus critics or Jesus' observers, but watch what happens in this story. It's not just a story for back then. It is an invitation for you right now to join Jesus in his work right now. Listen to what happens here. This is the longest section that I'm going to read. In verse 38, it says of John 11, then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, again, not at Jesus' feet, speaking face to face, just speaking the facts. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Already there's a stench because he has been dead for four days. Are you sure you want the smell, the aroma, the stench that has filled that tomb to come wafting out? Are you sure that you want that to be our reality? He's dead. Not just one day, not just two, not just three, which was the limit in the first century that they believed that you could ever somehow come back to life. He's been dead for four days, which is a shorthand way of saying he's not coming back. Are you sure, Jesus? And Jesus responds and says this. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this. Why? Why? I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. How interesting that the work that Jesus does isn't just for him. The work that he does is for more people to get a picture of not only who Jesus is, but of who God the Father is that the work that Jesus did back then and the work that Jesus wants to do now isn't just for people who already believe. It's for the curious. It's for the interested. It's for the skeptic. It's for the searcher. It's for the critic. It's for whoever might have the eyes to see and the ears to hear so that they might come to a saving faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus does what we cannot do. He raises somebody from the dead. You see, he does what we don't have the power to do, but then he invites us to do with the power of what he's already done. Take a listen to this. And then Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, but then he asks others, he invites the crowd, he invites those watching, he invites those listening to join Jesus and his work. And he says, I want you to unbind this man who is formerly dead. I want you to be the first people that he sees. I want you to join me in the work that you can't do on your own, but now that I've already done it, now that I've already raised him from the grave, I want you to join me in that work. And that is the great invitation for us to become a church at work. Remember, church is people. It's on a building, it's on an hour on Sunday. We are a people who are known. We are a people who are defined by the reality of who Jesus is. And we are a people. This is not just the staff. This is not just the pastor's. This is not just for the longtime members. This is for everybody who calls Bella their church home. This is the vision for us to be a church at work and in the next decade, in our 65th year, for you to join Jesus in the work that he has already started. And you will find, as we are defined by the reality of who Jesus is, that Jesus is alive, present tense, at the right hand of the Father. He's given the Holy Spirit for all believers to to be empowered, to be emboldened, to step out in faith, to participate in the work of Jesus. But again, there's work that Jesus can only do and there's work that we can do in response to what he's already done. You see, what he has already done is he has laid down his life as the great savior and redeemer of all and he has done it so for the forgiveness of sins and therefore what we can do in response to what he has already done is that we can be forgivers of others. We can be ambassadors for Christ. We can speak the good news of who Jesus is and the hope that lives within us. We can, we can be evangelists. We can serve our community. We can lay down our lives for the other. We can practice the one another's within community to, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to confess our sins to one another, to grieve with one another, to spur one another on to good deeds. You see, for us to say that we want to be in response to God's vision for us to be a church at work does not mean we think that we somehow have to work for God's love. Don't misunderstand that. We do not believe that it is our good deeds that give us God's graces. We do not believe that you have to earn your way to, to God's love and salvation. No, no, no. But we believe that when we are known by Jesus, when we are defined by the reality of who Jesus is, that through grace alone and faith alone, that we become adopted into God's family, that through grace and faith alone, that we receive the spirit of God, that we are now a new creation in Christ. Now out of the overflow of that, that we are called to do work in light of the perfected work of Jesus. We get to do in the power of what he's already done because God gives us a spirit. And that same spirit that dwells in us is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. We're gonna get deeper into what that means in the next two weeks in this sermon series. And again, I invite you to go to belair.org forward slash vision for you to step out to be known for you to explore more of what it means to be defined by the reality of who Jesus is, for you to see some ways in which you can be Jesus joiners right here, right now. You don't have to live in Los Angeles. You can be in London, in Nashville, in Bangladesh. It doesn't matter where you physically are because we have this scope. We have this view. The church is not a building. It's not an hour on Sunday. It is people. It is people. And we want to know you. We want to come alongside you. We want to pursue Jesus with you every day and everywhere with everyone, but you got to step out and be known. And as we do so, there's also this great invitation that we see as it gets into John chapter 12. Again, you've got Lazarus beginning of John 11. He's ill. Sisters Martha and Mary send word to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus chooses to delay his coming so that God's glory can be on full display. We see how Martha and Mary both approach Jesus very differently and how Jesus embraces them both so beautifully, so personally responds, one with personal truth, one with passionate tears. We see Martha very clearly understanding who Jesus is, not in the fullness of who he is. That's a great mystery that we can spend all of eternity pursuing, but she understands enough to say, yes, you are my Lord, my Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. She was defined by the reality of who Jesus is. We see how Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave and invites others to join Jesus in that work. And then we get to John chapter 12. It says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. It's Jesus' last stop before he goes into Jerusalem to set the stage for laying down his life in victory, not as a victim, in obedience to the will of God the Father. He visits Bethany, the house of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him, And Martha served and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And listen to this. This is what I want you to catch. Verse three, Mary took a pound of costly perfume. Later on, we see that this worth, the value of this perfume, a pound of it was 300 denarii. It was a year's worth of wages. Think about how much money the average American, the average person, how much you make in a year. She takes that, that thing that perhaps was her security, the thing that perhaps was her nest egg, the thing that perhaps was her future that would set her up. She takes all that she has and she does something so beautiful with it. Again, the one who formerly was weeping and in grief so much that she wouldn't go with her sister Martha to Jesus waited for that personal invitation from the teacher, from the rabbi, from Jesus to finally go, who approaches Jesus and is weeping, can only speak a statement, but doesn't have the ability to say, you could do everything that God the Father wants you to do. That same woman, Mary here, does this. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. Now, if you recall, what I first began to read in John chapter 11 was the bookend of the entire narrative of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. You see the bookend here, it says that that she took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. And earlier on in John chapter 11, it says that Mary, verse two, John 11:2, two, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. A quick glance at first reading, you might say, wait, wait, did she do that twice? No, she did that once. But the story was bookended by her act of devotion. This narrative as recorded in scripture was bookended in the narrative with that one act of worship. You see, the apostle John wrote this many, 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 many years after the historical events that unfolded. And John is alerting the readers that this Mary, you know this Mary, she's the one that we've been talking about. She's the one who after Lazarus was rose from the grave. She was the one who took all that she had, all of her savings, all of her security, all of her wealth, and she anointed Jesus with it out of love, out of devotion, out of worship. And in John eleven two, 2, it is a foreshadow for the telling of that event. But he's saying, I want you to understand all the events of all of this through this lens. See, this is the key. This is something that we absolutely have to understand. That all of this, that stepping forward to be known, Stepping forward to be defined by the reality of who Jesus is, stepping forward to be Jesus' joiners, can be looked at through the beautiful lens of a woman who worshiped at the feet of Jesus. Not just on the surface level, but from the depths of her heart. That's how John chooses to bookend this narrative with a reminder that all of this is an act of worship. You see, what you give your attention to, what you give your resources to, what you give your time to, what you give your energy to, those things are the things that you think are worth your time, your talent, and your treasure. And the things that you think are worth it, you worship. And when you come forward to be known by Jesus, you're saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust, I'm going to choose that you are worth being known by. And as you step out and as you worship Jesus, you will find there the only one who truly knows you. When you step forward to be defined by the reality of who Jesus is, you think Jesus then is worth being defined by more so than anything else in all of the world's. And as you step out and you worship Jesus in that way, when you allow your identity, your security, your peace, your comfort, your joy, all things to be defined by the reality of who Jesus is, as you worship him, you will find in him that which you can't find anywhere else. And when you join Jesus in his work, you think that he is then worth joining more so than anything else in a way that pervades into every area of your life. And as you do so, it is an act of worship. And you will find as you worship Jesus that there is nothing more joyful, more exhilarating, more awe-inspiring and wondrous than joining Jesus at his work. I love how this story, this narrative ends. In John 12, right after Mary takes that costly, that year's worth of wages, perfume and anoints his feet, and wipes them with her hair, it says this, the house was filled with the fragrance. The house was filled with the fragrance of her love, her devotion, her worship. The house was filled with her bringing herself to the feet of Jesus. And what a stark contrast to just verses before and what filled the tomb, what filled the grave. Remember, Martha was fearful of the stench of a dead man. And now this house, a house where everyone is known, a house where people are defined by the reality of who Jesus is, a house where people have joined Jesus and his work is now filled with a fragrance. That's God's longing for this church, that we would be a house filled with the fragrance of God's love of God's forgiveness, of God's grace, of God's joy, of God's purposes, of God's plans, of a community that comes together in our brokenness, in our humility, that loves the other as ourselves. That is like a Bethany where Jesus can find himself right at home, that we, like Mary, would bring our gifts, we would bring our time, our talent, our treasure to this church, To join Jesus at his work and that this house, Bel Air Church, in the next decade would grow and be filled with the fragrance, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, as you go to belair.org forward slash vision, it is an invitation for you to not only catch that vision, but to, like Mary, make possible what Jesus wants to accomplish through this church family. With this vision of us becoming the church at work, we've also identified there's three major obstacles that are preventing us from becoming and thriving and really accelerating that vision, not only here on our physical campus, but through our digital campus to the ends of the earth. And those three obstacles have been our long-term debt from a previous campaign 15 years ago. $8 million worth of debt right now that costs us $600,000 a year to service that debt between principal and interest that we want to free up more and more to be used for ministry, to serve our church family, our community, our partners here in Los Angeles, and our partners around the globe. And as you go to bellair.org, you'll find out more details about our ambitious plan to begin eliminating that debt. Now this campaign, unlike previous campaigns before, is not going to take on any new debt. We don't want to leave future generations of leadership any more debt. We want to pay it down. Scripture says that we should be a lender, not a borrower. There is a freedom that happens when we are not borrowing from other people. And so we want to move away from being in debt. It's the first obstacle. And it's going to take all of us to participate, to bring forward what we can to help accomplish that goal. But the second obstacle that we see is that we have in this amazing year, in this amazing season, through our digital campus, have begun to reach more and more people with the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've done it on borrowed gear. We've done it on sacrificed and donated time. We've done it with the skeleton crew, and yet we don't have, in many ways, what we need on a digital campus to know everyone, to serve everyone, to reach everyone, not just here in Los Angeles, in between the times where people are on our physical campus, but again, throughout the U.S. and around the globe. In fact, we want you to know that we want to serve you, the people of Bel Air Church, through our digital campus. And again, you were created for community, and there's certain things that work so well online, and some things that work so well on digital platforms, but certain things are best done in person. But you don't have to come to our physical campus to experience it. It is our ambitious plan to get you rooted in community, physical community wherever you live. Doesn't matter your zip code, doesn't matter your time zone. If you are a person, we want to know you and we want to equip you to get rooted in community to be defined by the reality of who Jesus is, to be Jesus joiners wherever you live around the globe. And we want to help find people who live near you to get in the community with you to practice the way of Jesus. And so we have this ambitious plan to extend and expand our digital campus in such a way that we would be able to beautifully and powerfully, powerful truth and passionate tears, join Jesus and his work to the people of this church, but to the ends of the earth. That third massive obstacle that we have is our physical campus, which is a gem here in Los Angeles. Many of you know it, many of you who have grown up here, who have visited here, who know this place. We are bursting at the seams in some of our ministries, and we need to expand our kids' play spaces, our areas for kids' ministry. We need a dedicated space for our student ministry. We have so many things that we need to do to restore and revitalize our physical campus so that we can better serve the people of Bel Air Church. You see, we are a church, not a campus. We are a people that have two campuses, a physical campus and a digital campus. Both exist to serve you as followers of Jesus Christ. And so again, as you go to belairorg forward slash vision, you can find all the details that are there. Now this plan, this vision that God has given us within our leadership, Within our vision campaign, cabinets and committees are aware that the cost of that capital raise is $14 million. Now that's impossible for one of us or two of us or a handful of us. It's going to take all of us to pray, Jesus, what would you have me do in this season? What is your vision for what you would have me do to participate, to contribute, to pledge over the next five years towards this vision? To not just catch the vision for myself, but to invest my time, my talent, and my treasure in becoming the church at work. And we want to take the first step towards that $14 million by taking the first step towards $8.5 million. You might be saying, Mike, these are big numbers. Yes, they are. But I want to tell you this that we have been having conversations, we've been having meals, we've been having meetings, we've been having a lot of video conference calls to invite people to catch this vision. And right now today, on our way towards that first step of $8.5 million, we have made it to $7 million already pledged over the next five years. We are 80% of the way towards that first step of $8.5 million. I mean, it was one thing we talked about back in Lent, for me to run the Grand Canyon 48 miles. That was crazy to run that whole distance by myself. If somebody gave me the option of starting the journey 80% of the way, I think I'd do it again. We're already 80% of the way. And so we're inviting you to get us to that first step of 8.5 million. So would you, before you do anything else, would you just pray, Jesus, what would you have me do? How would you have me step out and be known? How would you have me to be defined by the reality of who you are? How can I join you, Jesus, in the work that you're doing in this world? And again, as you go to Bellair.org forward slash vision, you'll see all the invitation, all the information to take your first step of becoming the church at work. I am so committed to this. I am seven years in. I've got a three-year-old and a soon-to-be nine-year-old. And I want to see these kids of mine, like the other kids at this church, like the kids in this city, like the kids around the globe, I want to see the next generation growing up to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. You know, there's something very critical that's happening, not only here in Los Angeles, it's happening around the globe, that the youngest demographics are falling away from faith in Jesus Christ. There are more and more people now who are not identifying with any faith background, who are now known known as nuns. Maybe you're familiar with this. People who are not affiliated with any faith background, who don't attend a community of faith, uh, who, 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 who are getting lost in this world. And it can only take one generation for people to turn away from the King of Kings the great definer of all reality, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ as the church today to not just ask, what's in it for me? But to say, Jesus, what would you do through me to raise up the next generation? So it's that invitation to go all in right now to be a church at work to be a house filled with the fragrance of what Jesus does through us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are our greatest reality. And in the same way that you are a reality, there are mysteries to who you are. So may we have a passion to run to you, to hear your invitation to us, like your invitation to Mary, to know that, Jesus, you are calling each of us to yourself. May we come to you, longing to be known, to be defined by you, to join you in your work, and may you enable us, with the power of your Spirit, Jesus, to become a church at work, now and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen.